How is everyone? Um, it feels really weird but wonderful to be here in the morning. Um, for some of you who don't know, my name is Jeeves. Uh, I have the privilege of overseeing the youth work for the church, and I'm, I'm mainly involved with our four o'clock service. All right, that's it. Now you can start the timer, and I can start mine. There you go. Don't need to be too worried. Uh, it says 25 minutes, but if I flip it around, it says 52. So <laughs> let, let's, see, let's see which way around I have it. Okay. If you have been part of, of the church so far, we have been going through a series in which book? Luke. Very good. There's some of you awake, so the rest of you are still like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Um, we've been going through Luke, and the last two Sundays, we've been going through the Sermon of the Plain. Okay, the Sermon of the Plain. And what that is, it's if you know the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew, Matthew 6 to 8, it's this iconic preach from Jesus that he, he kind of talks through. It's Luke's take on that when Jesus said it another time. And it is just full with truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. And for preachers, it has become a model of how you speak. And if you notice, it's kind of elongated way of how Jesus has spoken before. But if you see, Jesus kind of speaks in the following flow for the majority of the time that he speaks. He kind of starts with the context. What is the context? What is the behind the scenes? And then he hits the jugular. He kind of goes right for the heart with the primary point, the point that is meant to capture and slightly offend people, slightly in a convicting way, get to people's heart. And then he hits it up with the application. Something that is the application of how you should respond to what you've just heard. And if we were to take the sermon on the plane of what we've heard, Ian started with the woes and the blessing. That is the context, saying we're talking about the upside-down kingdom, the context of what this upside-down kingdom is. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry. It's this context of saying, what on earth is this upside-down kingdom? And Adam last week talked about loving your enemies. It's that primary point of saying, actually, if you were loved first, so you should love your enemies. And when we were once enemies, we were loved still by Christ. And, and it's this primary point that's so offensive to go, oh, I've, I've got to do that? And so today, I've been given the joy of the biggest bit of this sermon for the guy that talks the most to try and deal with in 30 minutes. And, and so today we're really looking at this application from countercultural um, countercultural uh, believing to countercultural loving to countercultural living is what we're looking at today. And so here's the aim. The aim is that I'm going to go through um, these kind of three, three stories, three applications bit by bit. Um, and I'm going to try and just draw out some of the meaning, draw out some of the points. And then I'm just going to finish on the, the application, the, the decision point that Jesus leaves in this passage as well. That's the aim. Um, so why don't I pray and then, then we'll try and we'll go through this. So Heavenly Father, I just ask, I ask that you would just be here. If anything, God, I just want you to be here. If my words are, are futile, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just impart something deeper than we can possibly imagine. Let me just be an obedient mouthpiece, oh God. And I pray that you would impart this wonderful application living into people's hearts. In your holy name, amen. 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 Ah, I did bring my water. Good. Okay, let's go on to the first bit. So if you go into your Bibles, it's Luke 6, 37 to 49. But all the words will be on the screen. So um, if you don't have your Bibles, there's no need to use your phones. It's all going to be here. 
Good, right. 37 to 30, uh, 49, we'll start eating it bit by bit. Okay. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. Okay, let's start off with that first bit. Um, just as a reminder for the context of the crowd that are listening at the moment, it literally is a wide array of people. It's a wide range of people. Those who do believe, it's those who don't believe, it's those who say they believe, but they actually believe something else. It's, it's a massive range of people. And so what Jesus is doing is he's trying to preach to everyone in a way that they can all listen but still tackle each and every person. And, and, and this bit to begin with is such a follow-on from hearing love your enemies. Uh, we often read in the Bible they're in different sections, right? We often hear in, in this section it's like judge not or whatever. Like it, 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 it's always split up. But it's one flow. Jesus didn't kind of go, now the heading for this bit is judge not your enemies. It's one flow in terms of how he's speaking. And so it's a natural progression from being love your enemies and don't judge it's a flow between the two. Now, we need to understand what is judgment. Is that us being discerning? Is that us being, doing what is right based on action? Well, no. If it was that, then we can flat out say that what Jesus was doing, even in this passage, was wrong. It's not the judgment of saying being discerning or being convicting. It's the judgment which is condemning. It's a judgment on putting the hammer down and putting someone down to elevate yourself. It's a judgment that comes from pride rather than judgment that comes from humility. That's what we're trying to tackle here. And as you can understand, if we're going from a place of loving to then a place of being discerning in judgment, i.e. don't be condemning, it's that beautiful natural flow. It makes logical sense. And, of course, I'm, I'm talking in the Christian church here. Judgment is something that is so dissimilar to us. It's not something that we do. I'm slightly joking there because, unfortunately, what religion does is it just forces judgment and condemnation down people. Legalism does that. Well, you're not doing this. Well, you're not doing that. How, how dare you not read your Bible enough? How dare you not pray? How, how dare you not come to church? It's, it's this condemnation slamming down that often can come from legalism. I haven't done this and therefore I'm judged. And Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. That's not right. That's not the way that actually the upside down kingdom works. And he, he kind of summarizes it because if we're saying that's how we're meant to be, how can that allow us to be authentic? How can that allow us to be vulnerable? And he uses his analogy that in their time, in the agricultural time, would have been so similar. This good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. What they used to do when they were selling grains or herbs or anything is they literally used to do that process. So what they used to do is they used to measure it up with their hands, so good measure, and if it was grain, they used to press it down. They used to shake it together to get rid of all the, all the chaff and all the stuff that's not right. They then would pour it into this lap, and the lap was basically like a bit of cloth. So in, in their time, if you would either take like a little handkerchief and it would be your lap, or it would be literally a bit of your robe, you would make into a cloth like that, and you'd pour it into it, and then you'd press down in that as well, run over it to make sure that the measure 
picture, there was no holes or gaps. It was completely full. It was completely authentic. What Jesus is saying here is in the way that you need to be is completely authentic. Completely authentic in the way that you love, in the way that you are. If you are authentic, there's authentic reward back. Now, I'm saying this in a way for you to believe that this is what he's saying. Well, why don't we eat the next bit and I can prove that what I'm saying is what is implied here. So, if we go to the next bit, here we go. For he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, we're going to take that bit at the end, but the next bit kind of helpfully understands what we're talking about this judgment. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do you not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, often what we do, and especially if we read this in a really ritualistic, legalistic way, is we kind of take out the emotion of the passage. This is hilarious. This is humor Jesus uses to describe it. Let me explain. If I was to take this log and I was to hold it in my eye and I said, Adam, look, I just want to say to you, there is that thing that's going on in your eye. What is wrong with you? This is stupid. <laughs> me holding this in my eye and claiming someone else saying, look, seriously, you've got a little bit of dust in your eye. You've really got to sort yourself out. How dare you have that dust in your eye? Is a funny statement. Like, let's please, please, church, I, I, I urge and I beg, let us never take the emotion that the words are saying in the Bible. This is a statement to get the crowd, not on his side, but understanding how big of a thing it is for someone to be judging them in this way. And you know what I said about Jesus being convicting? Well, he uses the word, you hypocrite. I mean, it's not often you kind of go up to your mate saying, hey, see you tomorrow, you hypocrite. Like, it's not, it's not a nice phrase. It's a convicting phrase to use. It's something that's convicting. And how it's not condemning and how it's convicting is because Jesus then gives a helpful thing of how to deal with it. He convicts you saying, deal with the thing in your eye. Take it out first. It's conviction. That's what we're talking about here. So church, we need to be so aware of how we are with others. How we are with others that we don't agree with. Let's be honest. We, that we don't agree with, how are we with them? Are we condemning or convicting? How are you with someone at work that shares an opinion about society that you do not agree with? What is your reaction? Now, equally what's bad of a reaction is to leave it be. Notice how Jesus doesn't say, take the log out of your own eye, and then leaves it and goes on to the next place. He said, take the log out of your own eye, and then take the speck out of your brother's, i.e., like David was saying um, in the Psalms, he would ask for the fingers of God to be run through him so he could lead better. The understanding of, deal with me first so that I can help lead others. Same way here, take the log out of our own eye, but there's still a calling to help discerningly lovingly, authentically love others by helping them see what is right. 
To, it is not, don't hear this, it's not a cowardly thing to step back and say, don't judge, you can't do that at all. No, it's saying, don't be condemning, but be convicting. Be convicting in how you are. Now, we love hearing the first bit. We love it. We love going, don't condemn me. Yes, okay, that's great. Cool, I don't need to do that. Don't convict. Do convict. Oh, that means I've got to say something? That means I've got to do something? I'd rather do nothing. I'm happy to do nothing. Beloved family, it is so important, so important, that actually we are helpfully loving by saying to others what is right. Not in a way that is condemning. Because actually, what right do we have? I, there's a moment where Jesus and, this, and all these Pharisees are standing with these stones, about to stone this woman. And Jesus just goes, whoever didn't do sin, whoever didn't sin, throw the first stone. And they all just had to put the stone down. We, we can't be like that. But Jesus lovingly, helpfully comes. He puts it, he doesn't even pick up a stone, but he says, I don't throw a stone as well. But he then helpfully convicts, helps, and encourages her. You see that multiple times. I mean, we, we looked at the woman of the well. I'm slightly going off, but we looked at the woman of the well because I think it's an important part. He goes and sees a woman of the well. And he says her life story in a way that just blows her mind. How can you know this about me? How do you know my background? He doesn't then go, well, that's who you are, see you later. He goes, actually, come find the living water in me. He convicts by showing the way to Jesus. Wonderful family, are we showing the way to Jesus? Are we actually doing that? It's so important that we do that. That's how we do it. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on. I just realized for a second, didn't start the timer. Um, don't worry, I've taken off minutes, I've taken off minutes. Okay, 43 to 45, let's deal with this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, no, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. When I first read this, I was like, you're speaking about too much fruit here. I do not understand. So it, the, the problem is, this is a wonderfully clear image for the people in that time. That agriculture is one of the biggest things going on, the biggest job going on. But for us, we're just like, fruit? I mean, Tomorrow's one. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's a really difficult thing. So let's try and break this down quite clearly. The reaction at the time, think about it. You've got a thousand people listening. They're not all going to be silent. Let's be honest about that one. No, we're not even silent. And we're only a few, you know, we're only a hundred. So the people at the time, when they heard, uh, nor a good tree bears bear fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, the natural reaction being, of course not, Jesus. That's stupid. Of course not. No good tree bears bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. But Jesus then takes that challenge, that, that loving parable that would have been so easy to understand at the time, to go under the skin, to dig a bit deeper, to help understand that actually it's what is grounded in that it pours out. Let me explain. The, the, the reasoning why this analogy is used is to convey Kind of a few things, but mainly two is what I kind of got from this. Um, one, the tree is deeply rooted and grounded. For a tree to be bad, 
it's not because of how the tree is, but it's how the tree is grounded. Um, if you kind of have some soil and you ground a tree in it, if you pour salt on the soil, it just ruins it completely. But the effect then goes into the tree. The soil is completely ruined, but the effect goes into the tree. So it's the purpose of this is how the tree is grounded and rooted. The second thing is it's, it's talking about this lifelong produce, not just one fruit. It's talking about a good tree bearing bad fruit, not a good tree bearing one bad fruit from time to time. Now, why do I have this clarification? Well, it's easy to read this and to go, well, this is obviously about works. This is Jesus' legalistic standpoint to say, hey, we can do good works and we're going to get ourselves fine. And I want to say quite clearly, it's not that. It is not about works. It is not about actually salvation being through works or saying, I am a good person, therefore I do good things and therefore I am deemed in the eyes of God as good. It is not saying that. Actually, what it's trying to get across is fruit being a suggestion of how you are grounded. It's a helpful indication. Paul uses this in, in, uh, in Corinthians. We, uh, our last kind of big series before this one and discipleship was looking at Corinthians. And Paul uses it because of what was going on in the church, basically saying, where's the fruit been? Where's the fruit? Are you sure you're grounded in Christ? Are you sure you're doing things that are grounded in Christ? He uses it as an indication of actually what is going on in, in the heart. It is not about works being the way that you're saved, but it's a helpful indication of what might be going on. That's what, that's what it's trying to say here. It's, it's coming from the pouring of the heart of where you're grounded. It's coming from the pouring of the heart of words and actions. One great um, uh, ph- philosopher kind of used the word saying, from the heart, out of the mouth, Litmus test of the soul. It's, it's understanding from the heart, out of the mouth, litmus test of the soul. A litmus test is just to say what is going on. It's the soul. It's just a test. It's not the, the foundation. It's not what you're, you're found in. It's not what you're saved in. It's just a test. And so actually it's important to understand how we are grounded. James uses this as well when people sometimes misuse the book of James. James speaks about this in chapter 3 when he talks about controlling the tongue. Well, the reason why we're controlling the tongue is because actually from the bottom and rooted place of our heart, grounded in Christ comes out these things. And therefore, we've got to helpfully control our tongue to ensure that we are making clear that we are grounded in Christ. It's a test. It's a helpful indication not actually what saves us. Beloved family, do we actually believe that it's Christ and Christ alone, what we're grounded in, that saves us? Or do we think that it has to be good fruit? It doesn't have to be how we do things. This is a helpful indication for the people at the time of saying, yeah, you've, you've got to bear good fruit, but the way that you're going to do that is by how you're grounded in. Beloved family, where are you grounded? Where are we grounded? Where, where are we actually grounded in? Let's go to the next one because I'm aware of time. Okay. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, tell, not do what I tell you? 
Let's just stop there. That is a flat out convicting call to those. That is a convicting call to those who say they believe in Jesus, but actually believe in works, actually believe in those other things that might save them. There's the thinking of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It's for those who say plus works, plus church, plus prayer, plus, plus something in the middle. I just want to stop there because I want us to make it clear that Jesus is not talking about just a good works kind of book in this sermon. People often do that. They look at the Sermon on the Mount and this sermon and kind of go, it's the good works kind of book. It's Jesus saying, hey, if you do this, it's good living. This statement just clearly draws out saying, actually, it's not that. This is talking about hardcore truth of where you're saved in, where you're grounded in. Anyway, let's continue. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when the flood arose, the streams broke against the house and could not shake it because it had not been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. Man, this is, if not the, it's one of the most known parables in the Bible that Jesus says. But this, as a statement, again, at their time they used to do building, they used to do those kind of things, this would have got right to the very core of people's hearts, surgically in a way, to help them understand actually what are you based in. It is, it is a point to challenge the, the integrity, the grounding of someone. It is clearly saying, um, it's, it's, it's saying and encouraging to say what you do is what you say. What you believe is what you do. Think of the analogy that it's trying to draw out. How can anything else be sustained if we don't ground ourselves first? Now, this might not work, so let's see if I can do it. Um, in a sense, if I was to try to keep balancing this book on this lock, in this foundation that obviously me being a weak man cannot properly hold it completely, if things keep on stirring and falling, it's going to fall. There's not going to be a firm foundation that after a while it will fall. If I ground it on something wholesome, something good, something solid, that even if anything comes, nothing will make it fall, nothing will make it break, then why else would I try and ground myself on something that is loose? What it's clearly saying here is, is things that might happen in this world, things will fail, things will fall, things will break. The only thing you can ground yourself in something that is clear foundation, dug deep into the very core of our heart, solid foundations, to ensure that there any storms that will come, and this is not saying storms won't come. It's not saying that if you follow Jesus, that it's going to be a simple life. It's saying when storms come, you will be steady. The only thing ever that is solid, that is a firm foundation, that is the only deliverer, is Jesus and Jesus alone. It is a clear statement to the people saying, you can do whatever you like. You can clearly try and bound yourself on something. But when the storms come, it will break. But you ground yourself deep, dug into the foundations of the very soul of the person. You will be solid in Christ. It's not Jesus plus something. 
It is Jesus plus nothing equals eternal salvation, equals freedom. I was thinking this earlier about this analogy. I believe today that there's some people that just are going to find freedom by reminding themselves who they are in Christ. It is not freedom running away from Christ. I want to say this quite clearly. If you're running from Christ, you are shackling yourselves because what you're doing is you're just trying to ignore the other things that are going on. You're running to things that will fail. You're running to things that will break. The only way you'll find eternal salvation and utter freedom is by grounding yourself on Jesus, the one thing that won't fail or break. I ask you today, if there's things that you're finding that you're just going, man, this is... This is weighing me down. Oh, man, I'm always thinking about this. I'm always thinking about money. I'm always thinking about success. I'm always thinking about things I have to be. I'm always thinking about how I'm meant to live and how I'm meant to be. Those things will fall. Ground yourself. Come back and ground yourself in Jesus. Ground yourself in Jesus. There is complete, complete freedom in recognizing the love that he has for you. There is freedom in there. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to do this. Is Ad still here? don't know if he's gone. No. Okay, that's all right. Oh, you are. Ad, is it all right if you can come and just play the keys for a little bit, please? Can you play the last song for me? As I was just praying, I, I really felt I really felt there, there, there needs to be a recognizing of this entire sermon of the plane that we've been going through, the last one. Yeah, is that all right? Um, that it is a clear call to say, where do you believe in? What do you do? This is not just a general statement from Jesus. It's not just a casual preach to just go, these are good things. It is a calling for us to recognize actually how we grounded. Let me come to land as I explain this. I said I'll come back to these verses. Well, let me come back to these. At this time in the crowd, it would have been a call and response to the first sentences in these things. When he said, also tell a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Well, the crowd would have gone, no, Jesus. No way, no. It's a call and response. Will they not both fall into a place? Yes, they will. Yes, these two verses are the only two verses in, in the entire Luke's account that are not covered in Matthew's. So in Matthew 6 to 8, these two verses are not covered in that. It's the only thing that's covered here. And I believe the reason why Luke has put it here is to make it clear that Jesus was saying, come follow me. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. You will be like your teacher, whatever you follow. Whatever it is, you will be like your teacher. You will be like that. And there is freedom in following the teacher who makes you free. There is freedom in following the one who is utterly free, who broke the chains of sin and death, and so there can be utter freedom in him. Can a blind man lead a blind man? No, of course not. But the king who has 20-20 vision can lead you. Will they both fall into a pit? Yeah, they will. But the God who loves you, who saves you, that, that brings you into his arms and through adoption with Christ will ensure you won't fall into the pit. It is calling to those who do not know. 
who are not saved. And actually, it's a calling to those who say they believe in Jesus, but actually believe in something else, the self-righteous of man. I can do this. Well, beloved family, in the most loving, convicting way I can say, we are blind without Jesus. We are blind without him. Actually, we need Jesus so we can see. We can see the freedom that comes from Christ. Jesus is clearly marking his authority. Either you follow me or you don't. It's this incredible moment of the upside down kingdom. It's not saying, here's another way for you to live. No, he's saying, I am the way. Follow me. Therefore, it becomes a choice. With Jesus, you're free from judgment. You're grounded, rooted in him so wonderfully and lovingly. Your very soul is dug down deep. The foundations are laid and you are grounded in him. So if any storms come, you will not be shaken. Yeah, you feel the effect of the storm, but actually in Jesus, there is utter freedom and knowing we are grounded eternally in him. As Jesus laid out in this one statement, I want to finish just with a statement as well. Will you follow him? Will you become like him? You will die with him. And will you live forever with him? It is a choice. It is a choice. What, Ruben, is it all right if you can put up the, the, the words of the last song, um, I will build my life? Just that bit. Thankfully, according to my time, even though my time has gone off, I haven't gone over, so I'm great. Can we stand? Is that all right? I really felt, like this is obviously off the wall. Adam's going to be having words with me afterwards. But um, if, if I'm honest, I really felt quite clearly that I just want to give space for a clear calling. This, these words that Jesus is saying, it's not something he said and then he went off and he said, okay, now I'll see you later. It's words he said to say, look, I'm trying to invoke a reaction in you. I've given you the countercultural way of believing. I've given you the countercultural way of loving. Now will you live the countercultural way of living? Do you want to be led by a blind man or do you want to be led by the one who sees all, who loves all, who knows all? So this is what I'm going to do. And I think these words are so good for now. Will you build your life upon his love? Will you choose it as a firm foundation? Will you put your trust in him alone? And therefore, will you not be shaken? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask for those who want to give their lives for the first time, who've never made this choice before, who've never said, I want to follow Jesus. I'm just going to give them an opportunity to, to lift up their hands. And I'm just going to pray a prayer of sorry. Thank you. And choosing. Sorry for what I've done. I give my life to you. Thank you for everything. And I choose to follow you the rest of my days. Then I'm going to give the opportunity for those who just feel they need to come back and ground themselves in him. Who feels they might have been living in a way that is just not of him. Again, it's not about works. It's not about that. But actually it's remembering to choose his love. His glory. To choose his, the relationship with him again. That authentic, wonderful relationship with him. Okay. All right, so if, if, you, if you feel there's something that has just got you, that you're just like, yeah, I just need a, 
I want to follow him for the first time. I'm making this choice. If that's you, if you could just put up your hand high. It's just as an action to show. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So I'm just going to say a prayer. And all you need to do is just say the words from the bottom of your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you chose me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I'm sorry for what I've done. For believing that I can be saved in something that is not to do with you. And I'm sorry for sinning. For disobeying you. And I give my life back to you. I choose you, Jesus. And I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I commit my life to you from now to the end of days. Amen. Okay, now here's the moment for it might be for more of us. In the same vein, if you just feel I need to just come recalibrate myself, ground myself back on him. I'm just gonna I'm gonna pray for you instead of you repeating prayer, but actually it comes with an action of you just identifying that. So if that's you, if you can just whip your hand up in the air. If you feel actually I need to just ground myself back on you, Jesus. I need to come back. There's stuff that's going on that I just need to get rid of. If you can just put your hand up in the air. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just fill us afresh. Just freshly today. I want to thank you, God, that because of your love, we are saved for all eternity. We are redeemed by you. But Father, sometimes we forget actually the relationship we can have in you. And so God, I ask that we come and recalibrate ourselves. We ground ourselves back on you. We remember your love, your goodness, your mercy, your glory. And I pray, oh Jesus, that we come and just give our lives back to you once again freshly today. The Holy Spirit, just come. Fill afresh. Fill afresh, Jesus. We praise your God. Amen. Amen. Good.